Let's be, uh, let's be thankful for God's goodness. Dear Lord, we're very grateful for this springtime. We're grateful for the means of getting together where we still can communicate, still extend your grace to one another. We'd ask that we would be uh, blessed this morning by the situation. In your son's name, amen. Well, as you know, if you've looked at the sermon notes, we are in Psalm 40. Now, let me tell you the story. It involves a commercial. Commercial to you, because as you know, Leslie and I have been working on a marriage book, uh, Fire and Rain, and it is now available on Amazon. But if you uh, if you are from our church here locally, a couple that goes a married couple that goes to our church, we will give you a copy for free. But in these days where we never see each other, you'd have to kind of come by and I'll give you a copy. So come on by and I'll give you a copy. Uh, if you're a single person, meaning there's nothing you can apply in this book, uh, you can buy it. So double insult. You can't apply it and you have to pay for it. But the, uh, the married couples, 10 bucks if you want the book. You say, what does that have to do with uh, Psalm 40? Well, because I was thinking about our book and ordering a number of copies for us to give away, um, at the very same moment, just because it, this is what happens when corporate media gets a hold of things and drives the little man out of business, my father published his autobiography. 500 pages of Jim Wilson versus 187 pages of Evan Wilson. Um, it's it's going to be hard to... And so I got a copy of his autobiography and read it this last week. And in reading it, I recommend it. If you can get a copy from ccmbooks.com, I think it's .com or .org. Um, uh, it's a great read of a Christian life. Not one that just is done... Uh, good things in his life, but thing, someone who has served the Lord in the kingdom, but learned an awful lot about what was needed to be fixed in his own life. For 500 pages, you're, you know, I've heard all the stories, and, uh, but reading it all together, it was, oh, this is how he came to learn this about his Christian life. Well, in that book, close to the end, and it had happened before somewhere in Japan, Psalm 40 had come up. Somebody had preached through Psalm 40, and then Dad had preached through Psalm 40 in another situation in some place. And then Dr. Ting um, um, uh, an old Christian friend of the families had preached on it towards the end of whatever was going on in the book. And my father put in the notes, if you haven't read through Psalm 40 recently, stop what you're doing right now and go read it. So I promptly disobeyed him, because it was so close to the end of the book, I read to the end of the book, then I went and go read, read Psalm 40. It's a wonderful psalm. You can see that in the 17 verses that are in front of you. We have taught on it before at All Souls Christian. But it's so good that, that when I was looking at my notes from the last time, I was going, okay, that, that's there, but that's not what I'm thinking about here. So let's look at this. The Psalm of David, verse 1, I waited patiently for Yahweh. Now, this is one of those circumstances that I use my freedom and my word processing capabilities 
to just remove the Lord or God and put in Yahweh where it was called for by the text. Because I wanted you to hear this in those terms. I waited patiently for Yahweh. He inclined to me and heard my cry. He drew me up from the desolate pit out of the miry bog and set my feet upon a rock, making my steps secure. He put a new song in my mouth, a song of praise to our God. Many will see and fear and put their trust in Yahweh. Now basically the first three verses are his introduction to the psalm. This is how it happened, he said. Something happened to him, went through some bad times, God came through, he was inspired to write the song, and this is that song. It's too easy for us to be reading through it and not realize it's self-referential. Because this is what you get in the rest of the psalm, verses 4 through 17, is an individual who has recognized the power and the goodness of God, how they live in regard to it, and what they were brought out of into that. And that's what he sums up in his thematic three verses at the beginning. And verse 4 says, Blessed is the man who makes Yahweh his trust, who does not turn to the proud, to those who go astray after false gods. Now, there is a choice here that you're choosing between divinities. Happy is the man who makes Yahweh his trust. Does not in his pride turn away to false gods. Now, we have, we need to be looking at what does this pride look like. Even we need to be thinking, what does this making Yahweh your trust look like? Some people... This happens a lot. In desperate times, try everything. I've told the joke or the circumstance, anecdote many times. Of a friend of the family's was at a church meeting, and this is back in, at, in Michigan. And, uh, and they had discussing a very difficult problem in the body of elders, and someone suggested at the end of the meeting, maybe we should pray about this. And he said, has it come to that? Now, we sometimes think of God as our final result, resort. Excuse me. We think of God as after we've tried all of the responsible, good, and, and the little lesser gods, after I try Walgreens, after I try uh, education, after I try um, moving to St. Louis, whatever it is I'm trying to do, the way I solve it, I solve it, if I can, by my arm of flesh, and only when out of desperation I reach a point of incapability, I turn to God. And that could, it's not that there's by the description anything you might say morally wrong, unless it is an example of you not putting your trust in God and how you have to be reminded eventually to put your trust in God by the failure of all the lesser gods that you invite in on problems. It's a conceit to think that the gods you design or the civilization you put together takes care of all the business. You can see people out of control with this virus. I mean, 
completely. On the street, people who can't do anything, out of control. Anybody at a press conference, out of control. They're almost screaming at the cameras. We don't know what we're doing. And we can't invent gods. This is the conceit that we could invent gods that could take care of these things. They're false and big reason because they, they, um, they don't come through for you. Like Elijah talking to the, you know, the priests of Baal. Maybe he's gone aside. Maybe you ought to dance or yell louder. He can't hear you. He might be in the bathroom. Our God is not that. Because happy are we who makes Yahweh his trust. Another kind of person is not just the, uh, the person who ends up in desperation finally going to God. There are no atheists in foxholes. Desperate moments call for desperate measures. Some people are so used to the narrative of their Christianity, they quickly pray first about it. They deliver it up to God first. One of the things my father had to learn in his life was that God would bail him out at the last conceivable minute. And just wanting to know, how did you, do you trust him? And he bailed him out. At the, and it was, a, it was a bother to my father. He was, he was not just impatient in the circumstance, he was impatient with God for choosing, even though God persistently, persistently did it, that he would wait to the last minute. So we get in there on the ground floor with our prayers for Aunt Betty or for the, the new job or whatever it is we're facing. And then as desperation grows, because God's not coming through as with the alacrity you want him to come through. You set him aside for other gods. Well, I, I'm going to have to check with the government. I'm going to have to make my appeal, whatever, ever, whatever is his situation. We write a story of trust when we approach difficult times. And well, this is what I want to say. I've been watching the news, as probably many people have, and people are constantly pulling up on their phones the number of dead in Kansas. You know, I don't know why Kansas. Other places too. New York, Idaho. I don't know what the number of dead. Is it 10 in Idaho? 9, 10? Something like that. Now, have you heard in any of the news broadcasts the word Exponential. Yes, you have. There's going to be an exponential growth of, of um, difficulty, infection. Now, why am I talking about exponential? Uh, because we, we do that. We, we do that with our gods. We do that with our trusts or our fears. We know how to multiply them. You get runaway inflation. You have unpayable national debt. You have the national debt clock. Have you seen the national debt clock? Um, you can get, I guess, the little thing you can put in your um, maybe your phone that keeps running up the score of how much debt we're in. And they just added two point something trillion dollars to it. And now they're talking about another bill because they wrote that check and nobody blinked. So let's write another one. 
And we are looking at it with concern because we understand what overreach numbers-wise is. Too much money. It's unpayable. It's runaway. It runaway spending. Now, why am I stressing this? Because we know how to attend to things that are either problems or blessings multiplied in this world. Um, and we don't attend to the multiplication of God's goodness. And he says that, Thou hast multiplied, verse 5, Thou hast multiplied, O Yahweh my God, thy wondrous deeds and thy thoughts toward us. And that's a good enough reason to be talking about it. Do you know, when somebody comes up to you and says, do you know how many have died? That's the reason, they're giving you that as the reason we need to talk about this. Why we need to abandon everything. Run around in circles with our hair on fire. But our God has done, in a multiplicity of ways, many, many, many great deeds for us. His great deeds, his wondrous deeds, and his thoughts toward us. So that none can compare with thee. Were I to proclaim and tell of them, they would be more than can be numbered. Do you see the importance of understanding what there's a lot of? Yes, there's a lot of viruses. Yes, there are a lot of people with their hair on fire. Yes, there's a lot of national debt. Yes, there is a lot of joblessness. Yes, there's... But you have a God who has multiplied his good deeds to you in such a way that you cannot even number them. It's one of the things that I realized reading my father's autobiography. I've heard all the stories multiple times. All packed into 500 pages and sat down and read them, I realized, my goodness, God has been good to him. That's why it's titled Grace Upon Grace. Time after time, moment after moment in a particular day. Have you stopped to think of the multiplication of God's goodness? When you realize that you're choosing to be excited by multiples of other things, have you decided that your praise... is really registered at the level of quantities that you think it. When, when you would sit down and write out your life, like you'd write out your testimony, or write out the Lord's walk, your walk with the Lord or his goodness with you, itemizing his blessings to you, your praise would be a little less you might say, perfunctory. When we just say, yeah, my mom did a lot for her. Yeah, we appreciate that she goes to the store. You know. you know, some kid realizes what his mom does. All that he does. All that she does. That, uh, that lack of quantification, that lack of measuring out everything the Lord has done makes our praise, oh, faithful, it's in the right category, we like God, Yahweh, we like Jesus Christ, 
and we'll say good things about them because we know that we know they're you know kind of vaguely on the good side of the ledger, but we have never looked at the ledger. We've never looked at the balance sheet. We never looked at how many times God saved your life. Now, when he says in verse 6, sacrifice and offering, thou dost not desire, but thou hast given me an open ear, an ear thou hast dug for me, says the Hebrew. Strange. And it's not even the way it's quoted in the New Testament, the Septuagint, a body thou hast prepared for me, it says in the Septuagint. But, uh, when we, we're not trying to get the things that the church is supposed to be, you know, witnessing, uh, uh, knowledge of the Bible, um, praise, prayer. How many is that? Three, four? We're not trying to get those things going because all the way through the Bible, even back in the days when sacrifice and offerings were, you know, sort of required by law, to hear is David going, God doesn't want that. Burnt offering and sin offering thou hast not required. Because the multiplication is not when you say, I'm going to step outside and I'm going to look at all the good gifts God has given. And I'm going to multiply. I'm going to take a calculator with me. And I'm going to create a graph compared to every other thing that I have measured before. And boy, I sure will be ready for the next praise service. Or the offering of my praise. That I will sing with such... Because I, I, I did what Evan said. I understood the multiplica multiplication. Now, I don't have a problem with you singing praise to God lustily, but he is not looking for your uh, bowing and scraping in the temple. He's not looking for your sacrifice and offering, your burnt offering and sin offering. He's not, not looking for that. It has always been Old and New Testament. You, he's looking for, and you being a certain thing, that your life becomes something. You might want to say that the, the, the danger is, you've heard me say before, don't read your Bible unless you absolutely have to. Don't pray unless you absolutely have to. Don't praise God unless you have to. How, how could I not praise Him? If I'm looking for a way to trick myself into praising Him, but I, I, we have to know that God's not looking for the praise. He's looking for the kind of heart that praises Him. The kind of heart that wrote the psalm praises him because of that which happened. He inclined to me and heard my cry. He drew me up from the desolate pit, out of the miry bog, set my feet upon a rock, made my steps secure, he put a new song in my mouth. I was praising because of what he did. I had been filled with a certain abundance. We don't just say, as long as I offer the praise, as long as we sang for a full half hour our hymns this morning. As long as we said praise Jesus enough times in the chorus, we don't sing choruses here, but some churches do. 
here in the notes that praise is a voice that speaks the abundance of your God to you. And there's something else. You're not measuring whether you're willing to praise or not, whether he's on the right side of the ledger or not for you. You're really going to examine you. The praise will come out of you. And that's what he does in verse 7. You have not required burnt offering, sacrifice, sin offering. He said, then I said, lo, I come. In the roll of the book it is written of me. He is basically saying, God, you know what I'm like. You keep a record of it. Now, I want to be a warning to you. Um, that there is a tendency when you think of the book of the living, the role of the book, whatever, we're just sort of concerned whether our name's in it or out of it. You know, is his name written in the book of life? And we forget maybe that when it talks about books were opened, every man was judged according to that which he has done, whether it be good or evil. It's a book of records, not a book of names. It's a history. And he's saying, in the role of the book, it is written of me. And then he lists what is written of him. We're not just looking at the scriptures to know our God. In this book, it tells the things that were listed of him. The effect it has, repentance and bowing the knee and serving God, has an effect in your life that then becomes written in the book of life. And you can point to it and say, Lord, I have done these things. You know I've done these things. Check the records. Can you do that in your Christian life today, where you say, Lord, check the records. You know what I've been... A lot of us are, we go, I don't think I want to do that. Have him check the records. Now, whether or not it's a the open ear, an ear thou hast dug for me. The reason we say the Septuagint is because it is quoted here on the left-hand side. You see it out of Hebrews 10. The writer of Hebrews quotes this portion about Christ. Sacrifices and offerings thou hast not desired, but a body thou hast prepared for me. It's kind of key to the argument of the writer of Hebrews. So my, my temptation is to go with that rendering, why the Septuagint is distinct from this. In burnt offerings and sin offerings thou hast taken no pleasure. Then I said, I have come to do thy will, O God, as it is written of me in the roll of the book. <coughs> so Christ is treating it, or he's pointing at the writer of Hebrews is pointing it at Christ as a, um, a record of Christ's actions. But it's general, but David's claiming it for himself. The writer of Hebrews claims it and points it at Christ. This delighting to do thy will, O God. What that that was the measure Christ was able to say, look at me, look what I've done. I was tempted in every manner like as you, yet without sin. 
And that was enabled us to sympathize with our weakness, but also show us that our weakness was no excuse. Because if we are this, I delight to do thy will, O my God. Thy law is written on my heart. Now I want you to look at this because, remember, he told you what he was going to sing about. He tells me that then in the next few verses that God's just done so much stuff. And um, he's not looking for religion out of you. He's looking for results out of you. And then he starts about the role of the book regarding him. And he has a bunch of things in the next one, two, three verses. I delight to do thy will, O my God. These are the things he is claiming. He's saying that this is the description. We know this from James, right? Show me your faith apart from your works, and I by my works will show you my faith. At some point, that which we hold as our trust, happy is the man whose trust is in the Lord, well, how do you know it really is? We all, everybody in Christianity claims it because they are, that's the rules, that's, what, that's the orthodox, that's the team chant. But we know that unless your faith, your trust is actual, you can't stop and go, this is here because I believed. We know this about Jeremiah 8, uh, 31, right? Is it uh, the, the new covenant? Laws written on our hearts. I delight to do thy will, O my God. Thy law is within my heart. That should be a description of you. Again, not something you go out and do. Back in the old navigator's days, everybody would have the little Bible memory packets and you better get a certain number of Bible me- because they believed it was the work of remembering the words that would keep them from sin. This is more of a description. Do you think in biblical terms? Is, is the law of God just part of your expression? I know some believers for whom pop culture is far more a part of their expression and what their reference is than the Bible. Now they know some Bible. They read the Bible devotionally, but it never is within their heart. And it isn't their delight. I, I, was, I was meditating on this to somebody um, it's easy now to get to church because I just have to come downstairs and I go on TV. Um, and I was a little concerned about the state, and I have no proof of this, but I, my own conscience, how satisfying it could be to have this happen to a lot of people who claim Jesus Christ, that they actually have a, a justified reason not to be there. Well, the state won't let me. I'll get arrested. Okay. Do you desire to do his will? Going to church is not, you know, obviously one of the things that we have to account for. But do I delight to do his will? As much as I delight to be let off the hook. If the law was within my heart, I would. I have told the glad news of deliverance in the great congregation. Well, the reason you tell the glad news of the deliverance is you had a deliverance, and you know what the deliverance was. If you have not been delivered from your sins or from the life life itself, understandably you're not going to tell the glad news of it. 
I have not restrained my lips. As thou knowest, O Yahweh. He's, he is calling on God to look at the rolls of the book and say, see, that's what I did. I recognize your greatness. I recognize the benefit. I recognize the multiplication of your goodness. And I spoke of it because it had such an effect. Do you speak of it because it has such an effect? I have not hid thy saving help within my heart. I have spoken of thy faithfulness and thy salvation. I have not concealed thy steadfast love and thy faithfulness from the great congregation. Do you notice that all of these are about the communication of what you've recognized of how great your God is? It's another a spot why praise comes out of the abundance. Any speech about it comes out of the abundance. And so you can say, honestly, what you speak of is what is abundant. And it doesn't get fixed by learning how to work the name of Jesus into most of your conversations so that you can pass this test. It's to concern yourself whether or not this describes you in your heart, that you delight to do his will. So, seeing his will done, wherever it is done, you want to speak of it, you want to share it. We're being described. Now, that's sort of sort of a cheap shot, I guess. Um, you've heard me go on, because you go through phases as a pastor where you start choosing certain words, and where you go, okay, we're tired of that word now. But I like this one because I think everyone's doing it. Everyone writes a narrative for themselves. Everyone and some, and we all try to live the narrative to the success of the narrative, where we're the heroes and the cool things happen to us because we're cool. And some people are good at it. Some people are not. Some people do improv real naturally. Some people have a very accurate notion of what they are themselves, and not an inaccurate one, so that they think they're a fairy princess, and really they're a troll. Now we don't get to, we, we don't get away. I mean, this is just something we do. We make stories. We know our life is a story, so we think, well, might as well write up a neat one so that I can kind of live up to it or try to work it out. But the actual story, the real story, reality as it happens, is the true narrative. The closer your emotional or internal narrative is to reality, the better off you are. And God's roles of the book are the accurate tale of what you did. He's a good historian. He's a just historian. How we're described. God's not in it to, to please me. He wants to do good to me. But he's not as invested in pleasing me for being me as I am in it to please me for being me. God's a good historian. He's without error. Every man will receive his judgment according to what he has done. No one will be accused of anything they did not do. What did you do? Did you delight? Was the law within you? Did you tell the glad news of his deliverance? You've not, have you not restrained your lips, speaking of Yahweh? You have not hid his saving help in your heart, 
you, how, how could I not talk about it? Now at this point, in the, in the, those were all good, verses 4 through 10. 11 introduces how that came to pass. Remember, he told you he was going to write the psalm about God's deliverance. Then he talks about God's deliverance and, and his reaction to God's goodness. But he's, now he's telling you about the problem, the desolate pit and the miry bog. Do not thou, O Yahweh, withhold thy mercy from me. Let thy steadfast love and thy faithfulness ever preserve me, for evils have encompassed me without number. My iniquities have overtaken me till I cannot see. They are more than the hairs of my head. My heart fails me. This is one of the reasons I recommend, I recommend, I think my father's recommended it quite a bit of time, quite a, quite a bit to people. You write up your testimony. Write it up, just generically, not for anybody in particular, maybe for your parents, maybe for, just to give to your kids someday. This is how I got saved, where I really understand that my iniquities were more than the hairs on my head. And the things that encompassed me, the calamities that encompassed me were remarkable. They were legion. Be pleased, O Yahweh, to deliver me. O Yahweh, make haste to help me. Let them be put to shame and confusion altogether who seek to snatch away my life. Let them be turned back and brought to dishonor who desire my hurt. Lord, protect me, he's saying. I've got, I've got enemies and all this. Things, bad things are happening out here on the ground. I've been bad. They've been bad. Chaos is around me. Evil. Calamity. Lord, I'm asking you to deal with it. We, when we know how to tell the story of reality, we know where we bow the knee for his grace. And when you recognize his great grace, you, you naturally praise. If you just know the orthodox statement of his great grace, you know that where sin abounds, that grace abounds all the more. There's always more grace than there is sin. I believe it. So that whenever I feel like really just you know, eventually maybe confessing some of my sins, he'll forgive me. But I'm not measuring grace that great. I'm not measuring my iniquities as more than the hairs of my head. Your heart didn't fail you. And that failure is what makes you turn to him with praise. And you want the people that have not turned to him, let them be appalled because of their shame who say to me, aha, aha, I imagine that was some sort of cliche back in the good old days. Aha, aha. May all who seek thee rejoice and be glad in thee. Look at what the, the, the wicked get their benefit from. They're wicked. The wicked get their benefit from your commitments. I'm kind of a perversity. When you're satisfied, when the good people are hurt, notice that I maybe I don't know enough 
um, non-believers in my world, but you probably know some non-believers who like it when good people get who lose something because they see them as judgmental, self-righteous prigs. They try to snatch away their life. But all who seek thee, but may all who seek thee rejoice and be glad in thee. May those who love thy salvation say continually, "Great is Yahweh." We're not running around going, "Ah ah." Even when you feel the shooting, that was the shooting Freude, where you're able to see the comeuppance of the wicked. Our, our minds still should be on our God. This is God's doing this great task of keeping the world from collapsing under the weight of its own sin and providing with the great grace that you could always be singing of no matter what. That is the correct measure of the universe. Where you live is that Yahweh is great. He will take care of those who deal with him duplicitously, wickedly, contend with him. He will save those who are his own. We know we stand in the safest spot imaginable. The God who made everything is protecting you. Not protecting you from getting killed. He might. Not protecting you and giving you your narrative. He's bringing about his narrative. Even the Christ said, not my will, but thine be done. I would rather not die here right now, this painful way. If there's any way we could do it differently, but if there's not, I understand thy will be done that's where we stand. We stand with our. We know that the narrative we truly want to write is that with God at the head of the decision-making um, power, rule. And so, when I recognize it, when I see it, when I count it up, when I stop multiplying the deaths from a virus and start multiplying God's goodness to me. Instead of fearing the damage that a disease going through your community can be, and a lot of people with, you say, why do they act as if their hair is on fire? I love the phrase, you know, because it really describes some people. Well, because there's a lot of it. There's a lot of things coming at them constantly. We're Christians. We have Bibles. We have eyes in our head. We should see the multiplication of God's goodness. You might say, they praise the virus because they know a lot about the virus. They have heard all the stories of the virus. They hear about Italy. They hear about China. They hear about Portugal. They hear about Ohio. Now Idaho. Latah County. Whatever it is. They hear about it. And so they get their little Bic lighter out and they light their hair on fire and they sing the praises of coronavirus. Know your God. Let your hair be on fire for the living God. He has done far more in this world. He made the stinking world. And he's going to destroy the stinking world. More efficiently than coronavirus is killing it, destroying it. This is our God. He is, this is, nothing comes close to it. Consider his narrative. Consider what he has done. Consider what he does. 
know what he has written, because it says to better is to listen than to offer the sacrifice of fools. We, uh, you know, I was thinking that in terms of he has digged an, air, an ear for me. He has opened my ear. As for me, I am poor and needy, but the Lord takes thought for me. Thou art my help and my deliverer. Do not tarry, O my God. We don't have a better story. And uh, you will know, telling yourself the story of the living God, whether or not you believe it. Because you know, It's not for us to judge whether or not you believe it. Because if you do, you will praise him. You might say, if you believe in him more than you believe in a virus or the U.S. government, you uh, will praise him more exuberantly than you will fear them. Let's thank God. Dear Lord, we're very grateful. We'd ask that you would keep us in your peace, like we sang this morning. We trust that the narrative, the story of your dealings in this earth through countless far greater calamities than we are facing, would make you, make us, abundantly full of your greatness, that praise comes naturally, telling the story comes naturally, unable to hold it in comes naturally. Lord, we'd ask that we would be full of your faith. And in your Son's name we pray. Amen.